Hello, hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Before we start, I want to remind those who would like to write to me and don't have yet my address. Um, my email address is drpeterresnick at gmail.com. D-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. As always, I want to tell you what we did last week, what I intend to do next week, and then we'll move with the intent of our show today. Last week, November 9th, I had an open floor show. That is, everyone was welcome to call, ask a question or make comments. Something that uh, I wanted this show to be in the first place. And I had four callers. Two people just called to thank me about uh, for doing this show. I think one actually asked some questions about night dreams. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate these calls. I really, really love your feedback, ladies and gentlemen. And two people ask very, very good questions. And I spend most of the show trying to answer those questions. Uh, next week, Tuesday, November 23rd, I will do the same. And you, ladies and gentlemen, have a week to prepare your questions. Questions regarding healing, health maintenance, crisis, trauma, relationships. Also, anyone who wants to share their night dream, uh, I will gladly work with you on the night dream here on the air. And um, it will be useful to you and you'll get a free session. And it will be very educational and useful to the audience. Today, as I promised, I'm co-hosting this show with Vladimir Angert. Excuse me. <clears throat> in case you tuned in today for the first time, Vladimir is an internationally renowned psychic medium, teacher, energy healer, and the creator of what he called Realized Medicine. I interviewed him about his work and um, three times, I believe. But then I get a lot of comments, uh, a lot of emails about this, those interviews. And then uh, Vladimir and I decided to do something else together because we work. It looks like we work very well together. Uh, and by the way, he happens to be my nephew. So we've been really working together most of his life and most of my life. Um, and we spent three shows, we had three shows already talking about the Ten Commandments on September 28th, October 12th, and November 2nd. And we covered so far six commandments. If you missed the talks and are interested in the subject, you can find them on PRN's archives at the Dr. Peter Resnick's toolbox. Uh, hopefully today we can finish our talk about the commandments. And then it's really up to you. As I said many times, this show is for you. If you like um, what Vlad and I do discussing the Bible, please write to me and we can continue. We can talk about different portions uh, from the Bible or the major characters in the Bible, as you probably know, 
the Bible is not only a historical text and spiritual guidance, but it's also a book of archetypes. And there is a lot of beautiful learning from every character in the Bible. And we can have a talk about that. We can do it every other week or once a month. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really need your input. Meanwhile, I will still continue my talks about the six pillars of well-being and other health-related issues, and I will keep inviting different speakers. But today, once again, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Vladimir Angered. Hi, Vlad. Hi, John. Uh, welcome again to the show. Thanks for taking your time. I know how busy you are. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I am actually, you know, Vlad lives in Florida, I live in New York, and usually through PRN we are connected. But this week I'm actually visiting Vlad and I'm staying in his apartment. We are just now in different rooms. Uh, I don't know why, <laughs> why we chose to be in the different rooms. We could actually sit in the same room, right? <laughs> That's just already by habit. So let's move to the commandment number seven. It's an interesting commandment. Uh, it reminds me of, of a joke. Can you, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Oh. Not, not very loud, Vlad. But I'd like to, um, if yes. I can, yes. before we start, it's kind of yes. a disclaimer. This isn't to turn anybody Jewish. <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not official converters. And, and frankly, in Judaism, we discourage conversion. It says very hard to live within the confines of Judaism. But um, the point of this discussion, which uh, I'd like to mention, is that um, what, the, what the secular and the Christian world called the Old Testament is actually a technological manual. And it's a framework that includes God, meaning psychology, psychotherapy, all these are frameworks with diagnosis and a lack of possibility. Torah is a framework which provides you and engages you in becoming an observer of your own behavior and doesn't limit any possibility because it includes the existence of the creative force. And you know what we discovered also, I have to um, to tell you, uh, I think at dinner time yesterday or the day before yesterday, Vlad, as we spoke about um, the show and how we talk about Ten Commandments, we realized we so far covered six commandments, and yet we did not offer people to start a practice. So before we move to the Seventh Commandment, I want to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, how do you know, the question, if you have a question, how do I know uh, if following the commandments will do anything in my life, there is, there is any benefit, and maybe I am following them, who cares? So what, what we, uh, Vlad and I discussed, was a, a possibility of offering you not to follow all Ten Commandments to the letter, no, just take one. Take one. In fact, take number one. And for three weeks, and first start for one week and see if there is any dent. For one week, focus on following the first commandment, and that is, I am your God. Do you want to, to say something about it? How, 
how they can practice every single day? Uh, I think the one is the most important for because there are so many people that are that have an aversion to religion, organized religion, or uh, are aligning themselves to a potpourri of different disciplines. What number one does for you is, in many aspects of the human experience, it reminds you is that there's only one creative force that sustains your soul. So the moment you decide you want to kiss the earth, you can do that. But the earth doesn't provide you with a frequency of energy that sustains your soul. The moment you insinuate that someone has power over you, they have become God. And you are consuming yourself in your mind and in your heart. There's no space for the flow. You're now out of alignment. And the person that you're concerned about or are worried about or planning on what you're going to say and how you're going to say it, they have become your God. So practicing the first commandment, as soon as you start to, if you have a conflict with your child and uh, you're consumed while they're in school about how can they do this and what are they doing and what do they mean and why are they misbehaving? You can choose another outcome and you can uh, stop contemplating what they mean with their behavior, how they're going to act moving forward and what you're going to say to them. And really allow yourself to be in alignment with the flow by not creating the, the lack of possibility and obstacles. And when the child comes home, create a possibility that when you're in alignment with the flow, it broadens your soul's energy, envelops your intellect and your nervous system, and you don't have to create stories and a lack of possibilities. You now create a possibility for unlimited possibilities because now you're, you're allowing yourself to come from nothing because you didn't make them God and you didn't get consumed by what is possible or impossible in your relationship. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Very, very, very nice. So basically, you know, uh, practicing this first commandment, uh, I think it's a twofold practice. One is remembering there is one creative force. And two, remembering that you being in the image and likeness of this creative force, remember in the first chapter of Genesis, uh, verse 26, it's written, uh, and the God said, make, let us make men in, in our image after our likeness. So, so we are also cre that creative force. So whatever happens in our life, not only there is, there is a one God, but we are the creators of everything, just like God. We're creators of everything in our life. Therefore, there is no one to blame. So anytime you want to blame someone for something that happened, whether it happened 20 years ago or, or two hours ago, you go, oops. Your oops means I am committed to practicing first commandment for this week. And oops means nobody made me suffer. I am the creator. I need to look at how I'm creating this situation. And what I can create, I can uncreate. So, the, so this is the twofold practice. You don't create idols. You, you don't make any gods before God. But you also remember that you are an image and likeness of the creator. And therefore, you are creator of everything around you. 
everything in your life. Okay, thanks a lot. So that's a good practice. And and uh, since it may be our last discussion on, on the commandments, I just want to remind you, you take it, as I said, either for a week or for three weeks and practice one commandment. And then you practice the second, and then you practice the third. How do you practice? You, if you forgot, you listen to our talks um, on the commandments and decide decide for yourself how you want to practice that week. What do you want to comment about other practices? Well, when I introduced, uh, you know, I, I wanted to figure out how to, uh, when people come for healing or retreats or whatever it is that they do with me, I wanted to structure uh, give people something to walk away with so they become self-sufficient and not dependent on my services. And so um, I realized that 72% of the world practice the commandments. And uh, most people don't have a clue. They think it's some boundary created by some man uh, to scare you into submission. That's, that's some guy in the sky. If you make a uh, if you look at an idol and worship a statue, that's what it means to, to, to observe commandment number one, because it's been minimized and intellectually dumbed down to uh, engage the masses in understanding that there's some guy in the sky with a beard or blue eyes and blonde hair that's looking down at you and God forbid you might do something wrong, it's going to destroy you. The creative force doesn't punish, reward, or destroy. But that's the human experience. All it does is create. So once you accept that, then you can use these commandments as a framework and a reminder. It's not to make you religious, it's to make you an observer of your own behavior. In fact, a shomer is a Hebrew word for observer. You become an observer, for those of you that have watched uh, The Big Lebowski, John Goodman is yelling over and over again. I don't bowl on Shabbos. I'm Shomer Shabbos. Anyway, my point is that uh, so that no one uh, thinks that we're trying to make them religious. It's literally a technological structure by which to live by, not to uh, develop morality, but to instead gather yourself from the impulses of the human experience and intellectual uh, distractions. We constantly make graven images. We constantly think someone else has power over us or give away our power. You know, uh, for instance, you know, uh, flu shots and flu season and allergy season. There's only winter, spring, summer, fall. The moment you say that the medical community is preparing you to be sick, you're allowing them to be your god. They don't know what's going to happen to them. So they, you, cannot, you cannot subscribe to concept. That has nothing to do with what is. Yeah, I just want to make a comment when you say uh, it's not that you offer to follow morality, but when you do follow the commandments, uh, this certain morality comes automatically. Uh, and that's why we basically receive the commandments and the, uh, the, the whole, the Torah is not just uh, the Ten Commandments. There is a certain code of behavior so there is morality. Uh, it's I, a moral. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. But I find no, no, go ahead. 
people are busy trying to stay sane and morality comes later. But when you gather yourself from your impulsive thoughts about how to be, what to do, when it's going to happen, what's going to happen, it kind of gathers you into having boundaries of how you think and boundaries develop a higher sensibility and a higher, a broadened view of reality where you then all of a sudden develop a morality as a result of practicing these boundaries. So it literally collects you from the impulses of the human experience and broadens your light. And then you say, well, you know, it's really not that important for me to be in control and think about what my kid is going to do. Instead, I'm going to align myself and not create stories and I'm not going to violate my relationship with my child by bringing the past into the future. So that creates a a standard in your relationship, which is also a a refinement process. So it's kind of morality. Right. It becomes morality. If you, we can go again talking about the first commandment. If you take 100% responsibility, in you, for, for everything that happens in your life, following the first commandment, there comes your morality. You understand now there is no one to blame and there is no one to be angry at. There is no one uh, to claim uh, your persecutor. Uh, you are persecutor and you are the defender. Everything comes from you. Everything comes from you making or making uh, or not making up an idol. Okay, good. I think that we did fine with, with the assignment. And then from that, you understand how we're thinking. If you decide for yourself then how, what, what it is, how to follow the second commandment, not to make graven images or, or not to make, take God's name in vain, listen again to the, to the show that discusses this commandment and then make a practice for yourself. And again, you are very welcome to uh, to send an email to me or uh, to Vladimir because I post on on my site on uh, on the archives Vladimir's uh, email address or I think uh, website. So you can also address him questions. You are welcome to write to him to me or to him. Let's move on with uh, seventh commandment. This is a big one. Yeah, yeah. And you remember the joke, uh, Moses comes down from the mountain and says, I have good news and bad news. The good news is I got him down to 10. The bad news, the adultery is still there. Mm-hmm. So, so the seventh commandment, which is translated, I shall not commit adultery. Really, in Hebrew, simply it says, lo tinaf. Tinaf means... Uh, Uh, no impurity, no contamination, no no impurity, literally. But it's implied that no sexual impurity. But like every commandment, no impurity has much, much broader sense. We'll first probably focus on, on... adultery, the impurity uh, within the family, because, you know, the whole attempt in the Torah that God makes is to create a healthy society. And from God's perspective, there is no healthy society 
without a healthy community. There is no healthy community without a healthy family. And adultery, of course, destroys the family. So any society where they encourage or discourage people to have bond, uh, bonds of marriage, bonds of, of family, um, really is trying to, attempting, whether willingly or not, to destroy, um, to destroy the family and therefore destroy the community. And very often it happens because uh, that group or, or those thinkers want to substitute um, any morality or the sense of the family with their own ideas and allegiance to them rather than to the family and community. Anyway, uh, no impurity. When you, when you smoke cigarettes, you know, you, you, do, you violate Seventh Commandment because you create impurity. Oxygen belongs in your lungs, not uh, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, arsenic, nicotine, tar. So that's already a violation of the, of the Seventh Commandment. Uh, I, Vlad, would you like to make, start, bring some comments in? I think the first thing to embrace is that once you accept that you're a soul going through the human experience, then anything, when you come together with another human being in intimacy and marriage, you bring two souls together. If they don't have a common denominator where, let's say, uh, just for instance, you're, you're both not Christians. One is uh, one religion, a Buddhist, and the other one's a Christian. What happens is your belief in the texture of the human experience and faith and understanding and how things unfold is completely different. So I married a, a Catholic girl from Buffalo, and I had to, even though she was an incredibly bright, educated um always uh, aware and super manifester, she lived in the worst case scenario. So I had complete faith because I understand the connectedness with God. And I had to constantly convince her to have faith because she constantly sabotaged any possibility or outcome. That's betrayal to myself because I engaged in a relationship with someone, with a, a human being, who doesn't have a common denominator with me and the same understanding of, of consciousness and the human experience. So I am constantly betraying myself by having to drag her along for the ride and convince her that everything is going to be okay. Let's just start with that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, Vlad. You're not implying that her being Catholic was doing this, but you being in different traditions. Was Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, I just wanted to make because sure. Because we're different belief system and different uh, a different observance of the, of the common understanding. In other words, her conscious understanding of how things unfold is different from mine. That we're, we're, there's, a, there's a really, um, there's a belief out there that we're all the same. We're not the same. 
we come from the same source, but our understanding that we come into into the human experience gives us a different perception of the, of the human and spiritual experience. Therefore, our understanding intellectually and emotionally is intertwined, intertwined with our circumstances. So when I'm a warrior and I think everything is guilt and everything uh, is happenstance, then I, I cannot trust that things are going to unfold for me and I'm going to make a living. So if you're engaged with a human being who's not of that understanding, then they constantly drag you back. That's betrayal, because I'm constantly betraying myself instead of being in the flow and trying to uh, contribute to co-creating a reality I really want. I'm taking seven steps forward and five steps back. Because so I would, you, well, would you say then that it would be if a couple gets and, and they together and they are from different faiths, let's say Jewish and Catholic, it would be for, for the sake of the union, it would be better for them to become both Catholic or both Jewish. Or both Jewish, absolutely. Okay. Because, because the content of right. the religion gives them a path. So right. when they have a common denominator and a common path, well, no, there's no argument. There's, this, right. there's no right. constant friction. Sure. Okay. Yeah. It's betrayal. Right. It's ultimately what creates the separation on a soul level. This is because you're from the same town, listen to the same music, or you like the same humor or the same clubs. It doesn't mean anything. It's not what keeps you together. So if you're both Buddhists, well, then you're both meditating and your perception of reality of how things work is the same. You don't have to constantly convince each other and have hardship, emotional, intellectual, and, and, and physical hardship. Uh, oh, I'm... I'm I'm on my own. You're on your own because you chose a person that doesn't understand right. the base of who you are. It's interesting. You know what they say, uh, a good relationship is not when you're staring at each other, but looking in the same direction. Amen. And that's, that's exactly what, what you're talking about. Yeah. I love that. Uh, and, and so would you like to talk about, again, not, not, not stepping out of this union? Yeah, uh, you know, people don't realize, you know, the, what the, what's, the, what's the biggest industry in the world? Porn. If the guy's hiding uh, in the bathroom or in his office uh, uh, masturbating to porn, he's already betraying his wife. Yeah. It's, a, it's betrayal because there's, you're, you're watching a loveless act. So you're pausing the flow because it has nothing to do with feelings. It's for instant gratification. It has nothing to do with you. And it's a waste of energy. So then if you're energetically connected and you have a common denominator through which you practice and keep your souls together, you're disconnecting and making space. And then all of a sudden your wife reacts to you and says, hey, I don't like your attitude. Why? Because you're not hers anymore. You created a separation. Mm. It's pretty true. God bless these creators of the of the website, and I've been giving it to people for years now. It's called yourbrainonporn.com. Yourbrainonporn.com, which demonstrates this is not about spiritual issues, but it uh, demonstrates how 100% of the time a man becomes impotent sooner or later. Sooner or later, becomes impotent um, when the, if they watch uh, this this porn. But as you said, they also they leave the marriage, they they leave the union. 
Let's let's address that, even the fact what, what you just said. Why impotent? Because when it's not a, an act that has to do with love and affection, it's a physical gratification, uh, uh, instant gratification. So then you're out of alignment with the flow. Then the flow is not fueling you through your feelings because it's it's through your feelings that you receive energy in your heart and in your soul. And so while if you're intermittently not in your feelings, you you lose the ability to fuel because the energy flows through the blood and the blood is constantly moving through the body and that's what fuels the male organ, right? And so. If you're constantly intermittently wasting that energy and intermittently are in and out of the flow, you lose your ability to perform. Yeah. It, it's very nice. Very really nice. Technology. Yeah. Right. Right. Very good. Okay. Okay. So those of you who decide to practice at one point, uh, the seventh commandment, that simply means to live your life without mixing without bringing things that do not belong together. If it's a loving marriage, so then the object of your love, you have a relationship with God, the source of life and energy, and then the object of your love in front of you. And you don't make up stories. Right, I was uh, just going to... <laughs> say it, say it, love. We've been hanging out so long, we finished my sentence. So, uh, the conspiracy... That's also betrayal to your spouse. It's betrayal because I'm accusing you, I'm uh, conspiratory, and I'm in my intellect conspiring or assuming that you're somewhere doing something that you ought not to be. That creates separation because intuition, if it's unresolved, it becomes conspiratory. If you're unresolved emotionally and you're not at peace, it's not. It's no longer intuition. You're not intuiting something. You're suspecting and conspiring against your significant other. And so that creates a separation as well because you become accusatory and accusing your spouse of something that doesn't exist if you're not at peace. It's, it's betrayal because you're contemplating stories that you don't even know if they're true or not. Right. And to stay within the union, in Judaism, we have a beautiful, beautiful practice called Hezbon HaNefesh. Hezbon literally is accounting, and Nefesh is the soul. So it's accounting of the soul. And we're encouraged to do it once uh, a day, at the end of the day. By the way, St. Teresa of Avila did this very beautifully, because she, and she described it in, in her book, uh, The Interior Castle where she would do literally this has been Hanefesh. She would trace her day going backwards all the way to the beginning of the day. And in fact, and she encountered an experience where she had some kind of discord um, with somebody. She would imagine herself being that person and reenact the whole situation from the perspective of this person and then go back become herself, and then already assess what happened and possibly apologize in, in her mind or decide to apologize or correct it somehow in waking life. So, uh, so but I, the reason I mention it is because you can do to keep the union uh, stable and, and healthy. 
at the end of each day, you can then have, do Hezbon HaNefesh, but of accounting of do two souls. That is, before you go to sleep, you ask each other, is there something that has not been cleaned up? So before we go to sleep, we have to clear, clean the air. You don't go to sleep being separate. Because love, you, you are sharing a bed, love and anger do not go together. <laughs> okay, now let's move, unless you want to speak about the seventh commandment, uh, but I want us to move to the eighth commandment. There's one, one yes. more uh, form of betrayal. Uh, I just want to make clear that I know about all of these and I made these deductions because I've fallen on my face so many times. It's not because I'm yes. a scholar and I've, uh, you know, for the, there are listeners that probably know me. I just, just want to clarify that because I've done so many of these things. That's how I know uh, that the, how they work. I've made my deductions based on the fact that I was blessed with a bunch of really interesting abilities and, and they give me a view of reality that's unlike anybody else's. But I think the most important uh, type of betrayal to yourself and to your spouse is substance abuse. Um, drinking, smoking, any kind of substance. Um, it shuts off the individual. It exaggerates, uh, especially in today's world, marijuana has become illegal in many states and many countries. It exaggerates your intellect and emphasizes um, intellectual conspiracy. It, it, you become so intense and uh, have the need to discern you conspire against your mate. And has not, it shuts you off from feeling. So it doesn't it has nothing. People say, oh, I become more creative. It's nonsense. Creative means comes from God and comes from the soul. So the creative process is devoid of anger and conspiracy. It doesn't conspire and doesn't need to be right. Mm. So the energy of, uh, of the creator it expands the soul. And so ideas and thoughts and, and imagination comes from the cre creatively being connected. When you smoke marijuana or you drink, it disturbs your nervous system, creates acid, creates, uh, slows down the cerebral spinal fluid and disconnects you emotionally. And so it's avoidance. It's also betrayal. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you. Thanks. So eighth commandment, I shall not steal. <laughs> and we have so many ways to steal. We steal from others. It's the simplest way to steal, you know. In fact, uh, if you steal money, if you steal a car, it's not good to do, but it's something you can repay. When you steal someone's time, it's something that you can never repay. What comes to me now is, I know I worked with a, with a religious woman uh, who had a lot of difficulties making friendships and a lot of resentment toward people. She said, I, I don't know, I'm religious, I'm observant. How come that I have so many not good, bad people around me? I'm surrounded by crooks. And I said, Tell, and I explained to her, and she knows the Torah, she knows the commandments. And I said, listen, this, that 26th verse, you cannot get away from it. You know, you are a creator, you are in God's image. So if God is a creator and you accept it, 
you are the creator. How did you create all these crooks around you? And she said, I don't know. I'm, the most, I'm absolutely honest. I never took anything from people. And I said, okay, uh, tell me, like, how, what do you do? You know, and she, she cannot, you know, it's not in, in her tradition. It's not that you go and move in with somebody or try a relationship. You meet a person a few times. If a relationship is not working, you don't touch, you don't kiss. Um, if it doesn't work, you don't no longer dating. So, and, and I said, you just told me that you went with somebody to see a movie. Is it a, a date that you went? Oh, no, 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 this is not a date. No, no, I'm not interested in him. It's just, you know, I don't want to be alone. I don't want to see a movie. So there is this guy that periodically I go to movies with. I said, is he 100% not interested? He's 100% a friend. Because, you know, in a Jewish tradition, we were discouraged to have friends from the opposite sex because of the possibilities, you know, that it can turn something into something else. Uh, and she said, no, 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 I'm not interested in him, absolutely. But as I said, tell me, is he interested or not? Uh, I don't know, at one point he was interested and I made it clear that nothing can happen. And I said, and now once in a while, you call him to still watch a movie? And so what, 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 uh, what transpired, what she uh, shared with me from this conversation and had to admit that she is simply using the guy. And he is, she gives him kind of a little bit of a hope. She gives him a smile once in a while. She's, I said, you are the worst thief of all. You are stealing guys. He's also religious. You are stealing his life. You are stealing his time. So that, that we have to watch. When we come, we come late for an appointment and somebody has possibly had plans, you don't know what possibilities you stole from this person. This woman stole a person's possibly um, a, a, a possibility of meet another woman. But you may steal someone's possibility to build a business, to have something wonderful happen in their life because you took half an hour of their time or an hour. So you have to be precise and always considerate of other people's time. I'm not talking about the, the cheap stealing, you stole money. And probably there are none of, of such people uh, among my listeners, you don't steal a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, I assume. But we have to be very cautious with other forms of stealing. What? I, I believe, um, I think the, the wellness and the yoga world and the Kumbaya listeners are jumping out of their skin when you say, uh, uh, wasting someone's time or, or giving the, the insinuating by a hug or a kiss or something that you might, it might be a possibility for intimacy. Well, you know, in the wellness world, it's all huggy, kissy. Go, oh, can I give you a hug? No, you can't. I'm your teacher. You can't hug me. <laughs> that, that's my answer. <laughs> because people are confused. They, they all, you know, everybody's searching. People are confused. They don't really know. They, they're desperately looking for answers. And I've made the mistake. Uh, you know, uh, oh, what's a hug do? Uh, oh, you don't hug? No, I don't hug. You don't need to hug me. I'm your teacher. And that's, that goes for the real yoga teachers. They don't hug because it sets up. 
it sets you up for confusion, which is also a type of stealing. But I think most importantly, you know, when someone is in a relationship, and this applies to relationship, uh, coming or transitioning from the last commandment, when you're in a situation and you're unhappy, and you're imagining yourself somewhere else, or imagining yourself with an ex or somebody or some other person, you're stealing that person's time because you're not present. So number one, they don't feel you. Number two, you're not receiving energy into your soul because you're really never present. You're always somewhere else. You're unhappy. And by not telling them the truth, you're stealing their possibility of moving on. And stealing from yourself, of from your possibility. First and foremost is from yourself, first and foremost. So really, when, when you're getting by in a relationship with the hopes that something will happen to it, nothing will happen to it unless you make it happen. It doesn't happen on its own. So if there is no clarity and no transparency, uh, and you can't say, listen, you know what? I'm, I'm really unhappy. I'm constantly imagining being with someone else. I'm, I'm walking in the park. I'm physically imagining myself with someone. You're stealing. You're not present. You're stealing your time. You're unhappy. Means you're shut off emotionally. You're not receiving energy. Then you cannot be an effective co-creator of what you desire because you're not where you're supposed to be. You should be somewhere else. Yeah, that's, that's very nice. Thank you, Bob. Thanks. Now, ninth commandment, I shall not bear false witness. The whole commandment is, uh, it, it said no false witness, no bearing false witness, and, and but in the Torah, an expanded sentence against your neighbor. Now, when you have your neighbor, so there is you and your neighbor, but when you are on your own, you are your neighbor. You look in the mirror, that's who you are. So uh, we'll talk, I would like to talk about not just uh, uh, witnessing against your neighbor, but also uh, witnessing against yourself. Uh, do not, um, again, we, we already touched on, on, on that, uh, not making up stories, uh, not telling yourself something that is not true. So, because you create a new reality, and reality is real, but it's not true. So there is, I don't know, Vlad, if you want to talk about this difference, reality versus truth. For example, a person may uh, see cockroaches on the walls, and it's for, for this person who is paranoid schizophrenic, it's real, but it doesn't pass the test of truth you can you can check and, and there are no cockroaches so something can be real but not true so it's very important not to create realities uh, and then live in those realities uh, that's that's a false witness against yourself uh, i have something to say uh, about false witness against others, but I want, Vlad, I want to see if you have something to say about it. I think perception and creating false perception against other people is also bearing false witness. So if you and I speak about uh, one of my children and I say, you know, so one of my kids is acting like this and I, then I set you up to expect 
a, a way of being with one of my children, for instance, my oldest, right? But um, my observations are based on my relationship with him. So my perception of him is based on the past. And moreover, it's based on our per interpersonal relationship. It has nothing to do with your relationship with him. And you say, well, have him call me. Because you don't feed into my observations because it's based on my perception. I love it's it. Love, I love it. What you're saying. It's, it's also bearing false witness. Yes, because you, you yeah. may, you actually, when a person tells a story to another person about someone, he actually can not only be false witness, but still the possibility for those two people have a decent relationship. Right. Because, because, because the person buys into your story. Right. But the story has nothing to do with now. It's my story from the past, yeah. and my story doesn't have to become yours. So I'm yeah. affecting your perception. I'm setting you up for failure because all of a sudden now you say, oh, you know, he's like that. I'm going to be ready for him. That's it. Right. Now, and, and possibly you already, rightfully or wrongfully, you already gave up on this person, and now you made me give up on this person. Right. So I'm depriving you of the possibility of receiving that love that you require from a nephew or a cousin. Or Those are all issues with love. And, and it, it's ultimately a skewed perception. So I alter your perception because your perception affects your reality. And therefore, our belief or our understanding creates our reality. So I'm changing your understanding and bearing false witness against him. Because really, my experience with him is based on our relationship from the past. Now I'm dragging you into the past. We're both not present. We're not receiving. And I'm confining you to my experience, which now then becomes yours. It's kind of like a statistic. Right. It's bearing false witness. Because right. somebody else's story doesn't have to become mine, even with illness. You know, in Judaism, we have a very, it's a very, very strongly reinforced uh, um, warning. Uh, there, there is a term called, it's in Hebrew, it's Lushon Hara, evil tongue. And it's discussed over and over again. The rabbis speak about it all the time. Do not gossip. Do not speak about other people. In fact, uh, I heard my rabbi one time to tell the story how uh, a person goes to see a rabbi and says, you know, I, I said something about someone I think maybe it's not completely true. I heard it from somebody else. Uh, I, I would like to kind of apologize. No, I don't feel like talking to this person. I want to tell you so I wouldn't have heavy heart. And, and the rabbi said, listen, we can resolve it. I can help you to understand what happened. But bring the pillow. Bring a pillow from your home. And so the guy comes, you know, it's a rabbi. So the guy comes and brings a pillow. And so he, the rabbi says, let's go up, up on the building. And they take the elevator, go to ninth floor. And they go on the roof. And the rabbi takes out a little knife and cuts the pillow open. And all the feathers fly away. 
there's so many thousands and thousands of feathers. And he says, now, my, my dear, go and collect. If you want to completely repair what you've done, go collect all those feathers. And the guy says, you're kidding. <laughs> How can I possibly collect all those feathers? And the rabbi said, that is how, what happens with Bushon Hara. It's not repairable. It's now between you and God, because you cannot possibly even repair. And there is no way you can repair it. So we are warned not to speak to, there are, there are only a few situations where you are permitted to say something about someone, if you know 100% had the direct experience that this person, uh, let's say, stole something, uh, and your friend wants to have a, a business deal, then you're permitted to say, you know, I need to tell you that I had a business deal, and this and this happened. It doesn't mean that it will happen again, but I am responsible for telling it to you. Or let's say a person wants to um, to have a shidduch, to, to meet somebody. Um, or let's say his daughter to meet a young man. And you know that this man is a criminal or uh, an abuser. Then a person's responsibility is to say, again, uh, to say, I do not know. If he be, is, acts like this now, but a year ago, this and this happened. But these are only two situations where you can really warn a person. But just to talk, did you hear this? Do you know this? That's the Shon Hara, and, and you're absolutely not for, um, forbidden to do, from doing it. I had um, two interesting experiences. One, uh, which kind of expounds on, on another level of, of bearing false witness because of people's minds and their need to be right. When you say something like, I, I, I dated a religious girl uh, in 07, and my father wasn't doing well, and we were in a supermarket and we encountered someone who knew my father. And the person said, well, how's your dad doing? And she said, oh, thank God we're moving forward. I said, why didn't you, ex I didn't ask her right there. And then after uh, the experience, I said, well, why didn't you expand? Why, why don't you tell them more? She says, it's unimportant because it's bearing false witness also, because you're, you're giving them an opportunity. You're, you're saying things, putting it in the air, meaning evil tongue, you're putting in the air and giving people ammunition to think and talk about the, your father's lack of possibilities. So mm -hmm. really the truth is, thank God we're moving forward because ultimately that's what we're doing, right? So you avoid giving people ammunition to talk about something that they have no idea about or give their contribution. Oh, you know, by the way, my father's also sick like that. He's gone now. So they, right. oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, they yes. put in motion, you understand, they put right. in motion something that doesn't exist. And one more experience that I'd like to share with the audience, it's, it's, it's part of my mediumistic ability, and you know, I don't really care who, what people think, you know that. But I had experience with a, a, a master soul who called herself Miriam. 
And I asked her. Uh, I saw her in Taos, New Mexico, while I was treating someone from spinal cancer. And my first question was, I said, look, I'm Jewish. I don't subscribe to immaculate conception. It's not a concept I relate to. How did you become who you are? She confirmed this commandment. She said, people made me who I am. So many people keep me in the highest regard and think and talk about me with, with the highest standard and praise me. They made me a master soul. So then it confirms this commandment to be true because what you express and when you right. hold someone in the highest regard yeah. and not badmouth them, wow, you wow, wow. elevate their uh, consciousness and their spirit. Moreover, they give you proof of what you believe to be true. Yeah, but, but then the same is true for the opposite. So if, if we, the, the same is true for the opposite. So if a group of people let's say one person does Lushon Kara, says something negative about the person, uh, and then somebody else picks up knowing nothing about that person and shares with another, and a big, large group of people begins to think negatively about this person. They can really do a lot of damage. Of course. Yeah. Listen, I, I want to ask, since we have only one commandment left and we have only six minutes to go, I want us to talk about Tenth Commandment. Tenth commandment. It's a very interesting commandment because it's a commandment that is uh, unlike anything, any other commandment. Because all other commandments are about how to act. But this is the first and the only commandment. It's not about action, but even about thoughts. This is not, you, you will not desire, you will not covet your neighbor's anything, your neighbor's property, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's donkey, and so on, so on. So this is about watching your thoughts. This is about uh, personal self-mastery. Only God knows what your thoughts are. But other people, you see, with all other commandments, somebody can rebuke you. With this one, nobody can know what's going on. God knows, but nobody else can. So this, that's, it's interesting because it's left as a last commandment uh, because it, it requires, after you practice all other commandments, it requires really watching your thought process, and which, which is the, the most difficult thing to do. Because when you act and you saw yourself acting habitually, you catch yourself. But thoughts is much more difficult to control because a thought comes with a tremendous speed. But it's your responsibility what, what you do once the thought comes. Vlad, you have a couple of minutes and then we go. I think uh, the most important, the most valuable aspect of this commandment is um, not to compare. Because if you're coveting your neighbor's wife, you don't know what she comes with, that wife. You don't know who she is. You don't know her mental state, her emotional state, their, her physical state. Moreover, the moment you covet your neighbor's house, you're insinuating that you are not where you're supposed to be. So if you're not where you're supposed to be, then what is intended for you and find you because you, you're comparing and insinuating that you should be 
emotionally and intellectually in your imagination, you should be in that house. So comparison and coveting insinuates that you ought to be somewhere other than where you are. Well, if you're not here, then whatever is intended for you can't find you. Because the constant comparison, I well, I have my ears are too big. Oh, I wish I had his ears. You don't know my ears are intended to hear. That's why they stand out the way they do. If you take Peter's morphology class, you will know it to be true. You don't know what my ears represent and what the price I paid for having these ears. So by saying that you think that my your ears should be like mine, you're insinuating that somehow the creative force made a mistake and that you are a mistake. It doesn't make mistakes. It's perfect. It created a perfect world and human beings screwed it up. So, so the point, my point is that uh, comparison has to do with coveting. Why well, should be here? Why well, should have this? Why I should have a different face? I should be fatter, thinner, bigger arms, bigger hands, bigger whatever. And in addition, of course, violation of other commandments comes from the violation of this commandment, which means when you begin to covet, then you steal, then you steal somebody's wife, then you begin to talk about other people because they are better than you are. You begin again, like you said, you're comparing. Uh, when you're coveting, you feel uh, you don't get enough. You begin to go back to this, this psychological trip to your parents. You were not getting enough from your parents, so you you honor don't honor your parents. You you uh, commit adultery. You steal. You murder. You murder yourself or you murder others. And and coveting does lead sometimes to murder on on a great great scale because as they say. Um, all wars are economical wars. Even though sometimes people pretend that they're political, it's all about economy. It's about the turf, it's about money. So it's about coveting on a big scale and thousands of, and millions of people die because of, of uh, some group of people coveting and then brainwashing poor kids to go and die uh, for for what they for the fulfillment of their coveting, basically. Ultimately, if you accept the technology of a soul, we have one you accept, you accept that you it's important for you to be in the flow to to receive for the soul, then you will never covet because it's a reminder to curb the impulse to insinuate that you want to be somewhere other than where you are. Because if you're not present, then you're not here to receive the flow. Vlad, thank you very much for this talk. Thank you. Thank you very much for ev to everyone for uh, being part of our talks about uh, the 10th Commandments. Uh, I'm looking forward to having your ear a week from now, next Tuesday. And peace to all who want to live in peace.